what happened is that some of our philosophers got off base. And one of the great problems of history is that the concepts of love and power have usually been contrasted as opposites, polar opposites. So that love is identified with a resignation of power and power with a denial of love. It was this misinterpretation that caused uh, the philosopher Nietzsche, who was the philosopher of the will to power, to reject the Christian concept of love. It was the same misinterpretation which induced Christian theologians to reject Nietzsche's philosophy of the will to power in the name of the Christian idea of love. Now we got to get this thing right. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best. Power at its best is love, implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. And the church said, amen. Good morning, church. Uh, and happy Super Bowl Sunday, which, uh, you know, made the best team win. I don't know who you're pulling for. Who, anybody pulling for the Rams? That guy is. Anybody pulling for the Patriots? That's weird. Well, you know, may the best team win. Or uh, may the team with the most power win. May the team that has the ability to, to overpower the other team win, right? I mean, I love the Super Bowl, and, and I'll watch the game tonight. I, I'll enjoy it. But it is a reminder, isn't it, uh, that we live in a world that is consumed with power, and I couldn't think of a better way to start uh, this month, to start this series. This is Black History Month. And to begin today with this word from our brother, from Martin Luther King Jr., I think it's a powerful word, a powerful reminder. And let me just read the, the last part of that again, his powerful words. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive. And that love without power is sympathetic and anemic. Power at its best. Power at its best is love, implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is love, correcting everything that stands against love. I think if anyone could teach us how to, to love different, maybe it's Martin Luther King Jr. What does it mean to love different? If you've been around Riverside very long at all, you know that one of the th things we keep saying over and over again is we want to be people that, that truly live different. And what that means is we want to be people who are experiencing life change because we believe this is true, that you cannot encounter Jesus and not experience life change. That one of the things that happens when you have an encounter and experience with Jesus is that he changes your life. And, and it may be slow. It may be incremental. You may not always see the change if you're trying every day to figure out, am I changing? Am I becoming more like my, my Jesus? Is that happening in my life? You, you may or may not be able to see that on just a, a daily reflection, but it's kind of like when you plant that tree in your yard. We did this at my house a few years ago. You look out your window, and, and you can't tell if it's growing or not. Every day you look out there, and you, you, you can't really tell. You know? but, but every day, Every day is sitting in, in the sunlight that God provides. 
Every week, every month, it's receiving the, the rain that God sends. Every day, it's, its roots are growing down deep into that rich soil and receiving the nutrients. And then you wake up one day, 30 years later, 40 years later, and you're like, whoa, look at that tree. Look how it's grown. Another 10 years go by, and you look up, and you're like, wow, look at the height and the breadth of those branches. In the same way, it's our prayer, if you're a part of the faith family at Riverside, that you're experiencing that kind of growth. And it may be slow. It may be incremental. But man, what, how amazing it would be when someone comes up to you a year or two years or five years and they haven't seen you in a while and they're like, wow, something has changed about you. And it's my personal belief that, that if we're going to learn to live different which I believe Jesus is calling us into this life he offers, so that has to happen for us, that, that what has to happen if we want to live different is we have to learn how to love different. And so what I want us to do as a church, as a faith family, for the next four weeks during the month of February in our house, I want us to lean in hard together to maybe the most famous passage, the most famous scripture ever written about Love And if you've ever been to a wedding, it doesn't matter if you believe in God or don't, if you believe in the Bible or not. If you've ever been to a wedding, if you've ever heard anything about love, you've probably heard this text read. You may have read it yourself. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And, and, and if you've ever preached a wedding, you've certainly done this. I know I've done this for the weddings that I've done. You get up and you say, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to witness these two pledge their love to each other, to see this man and this woman united if you're old school, you can say in holy matrimony, whatever that is. And then you'll say, before we witness them exchange their vows, let's read this together. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. At this point, the preacher's looking at the man, not the woman. Some of you caught that. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these, th these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Isn't that beautiful? It is. It is beautiful. The problem, of course, is that Paul didn't write these words to be read in a wedding ceremony. He didn't write this so that preachers would have something to say when two people get married. This was never meant to be a wedding text or read in marriage ceremonies anywhere 
That wasn't Paul's intent when he wrote this. This isn't a poem. It isn't poetry. He's writing to a church in Corinth who, if you read the entire letter that he wrote to this church, you can see they've got a lot of problems. They've got a lot of problems. But our problem is that we've relegated this text largely to marriage and to wedding ceremonies. And I'm glad we read it there because there is a lot for us to learn about love from this text for our families, for our marriages, for, for, for that purpose. But if we just relegate it to that moment, I think something happens to this text that is tragic. Because if that's all we do, then, then this text has lost its power. We've robbed it of its power. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., Love without power is sympathetic and anemic, and I'm afraid that's what's happened to this text in so many of our lives is that we've left it there in the church for the wedding ceremony, but we haven't seen what it has to say to us in the rest of our lives. And so it's become, well, what's happened for us is we've just adopted the way the world sees and experiences and expresses love. And you know as well as I do that the way the culture defines love. It's, it's a very self-centered, self-seeking love. And so I'll love you if you love me. I'll love you if you help me, and I'll help you if you help me. And this is the way love will work. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And if for whatever reason you stop at some point or we disagree at some point, then you go your way and I'll go my way, and I don't have to love you anymore, and you don't have to love me anymore. This is the way love works in our culture. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that we're called to something different. If you're not, that's okay. You're not. But if you are striving to live different, if you're striving to be someone who follows Jesus, then you know that Jesus said this. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And and if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even Sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for, for a full return. The, yeah, that's the way love works in the world. But Jesus is saying, hey, if you're following me, you're called to love in a different way. You're called to a different way of love. But of course, the tragedy isn't that the world doesn't know how to love. Outside these four walls, they're not called to anything beyond that. And so we really shouldn't get upset or agitated when people outside of the church love that way because that's just the way people love. What should burden us is when that way of love filters into the church. And we see this, not just in our church, but in, in churches all across the world. People come to a church and they ask the same question they ask outside the church What's in it for me? And if the church provides what I want, if I get something out of it, then I'll keep coming. If you keep doing things the way I want you to do them, then I'll keep coming. And I'll even hashtag, I love my church. And I'll tell people about how great my church is, mainly because they just do things the way I like it. And they take care of me and they do what I want them to do. But if they ever stop, then I'll just leave. And my question is, is that really love? You see, I think what Paul wanted to say in 1 Corinthians 13 is he's calling the church there to love in a different way. He wanted them to love God well, and he wanted them to love each other well. And let's just be honest, that's a whole different way of love. If you have your Bibles, your Bible app, if you want to open up to 1 Corinthians 13, we're, gonna, we're just going to park in the first three verses this morning. We'll walk through this slowly over the next few weeks. But I want us to, to step in this, into this together and 
and to ask this question, what does it mean for us to love the way that Jesus calls us to love? I I think Paul knew something about it because Paul had had a life-changing experience with Jesus. He knew what it was to experience the love of Jesus, and it had such a radical impact on his life that it changed the trajectory of his life. And and he loved in an entirely different way after he met Jesus than he did before he met Jesus. And I think Paul wanted the same thing for his friends in Corinth. And so Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. He said, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, which, by the way, he could. Paul had this spiritual gift. Paul had the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And everybody at the church in Corinth knew that he could. He had spent a year and a half of his life there in this city, gathering and creating and building this church. And everyone there in that church knew that Paul had this spiritual gift, this spiritual ability. But he's setting himself up as the case study, as the example. If if I had this gift, which you know that I do, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I had the gift that every one of you so deeply desires, if I had the spiritual gift that all of you elevate above the rest, if I had that ability, and oh, by the way, you know that I do, but if I didn't love you, if I didn't love others, Guess what? That thing that you crave the most, that spiritual gift that you you hold in highest regard, it's worthless. It's completely useless apart from love. But it goes on. If I had the gift of prophecy, another gift that the church in Corinth held up is, man, if you have the gift of prophecy, if you can preach, you are somebody. And oh, by the way, Paul had this gift too, and they knew it. In fact, it was because that Paul had this gift that he was able to go to the city of Corinth, a pagan city. I've been there. Idol worship everywhere, a port city, an affluent area. Paul went to this place where there was no church. And because he had the spiritual gift of preaching, because he had the spiritual gift of prophecy, and prophecy, by the way, it doesn't just mean you can tell the future. It doesn't always mean that. Sometimes it means that. But most of the time, it just means that you have the ability to speak in an inspired way to point people to God. And Paul had this gift, and he was able, because of that gift, to gather Jews and Gentiles to form a church, to to, to tell them about Jesus in such a way that they put their faith in Jesus. It changed their lives. Paul had this spiritual gift, but he says, guess what? If I had that gift, and oh, by the way, you know I do, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, wouldn't you love that? And possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, without love, I I would be nothing. Without love, the spiritual gift of prophecy, knowledge, and faith are nothing. The absence of love renders the best preacher as just worthless. The absence of love renders the person with the most knowledge, those of you who are the smartest in the room, it renders that knowledge as as meaningless. The absence of love for those of you who have great faith in the room, without love, it renders that as completely pointless. The absence of love, it neutralizes all of those gifts, all of that power, all of that ability. It really has nothing to offer. That's what Paul is saying. And 
and I think you, you know this is true. Because your willingness, my willingness, this is true for me. Our, our willingness to put our life up under the authority of another depends on one thing. And this is universally true. In the church, outside of the church, this is just true of human beings. Your willingness to put your life up under the authority of another, to hear a word from someone, depends on one thing. If you feel loved by them. If you feel loved by them. I know I can think of experiences in my own life. The critics that I listen to, the people that I allow to speak into my life, are the people that I know have my back, want what's best for me, love me deeply, want to see me get better, and want to see me grow. And when they come to me with advice, with counsel, with criticism, with feedback, you know what? I will gladly receive that. The critics I do not listen to are those with whom I'm outside of a relationship. Are those that, for whatever reason, I don't feel loved by them or I have felt rejected by them. And if they have something to say to speak into my life, guess what? I'm probably not going to hear it. And they can be really smart. They can have great advice. They can have great faith. They can have something that is right and true to speak into me. But outside of love, outside of relationship, guess what? It's useless. This is, this is I think, what, what Paul is saying the presence of love enables you to use the spiritual gifts that God has given you for the benefit of others. To use those gifts or abilities, to use that power outside of relationship is to exert power over someone. But when there's the presence of love and a presence of relationship, you can use the spiritual gifts, the powers, the abilities, the talents that God has given you for others. And what changes all of that is one thing, love. Without love, all of it is pointless and meaningless. But Paul, Paul goes on. He says, guess what? If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, and oh, by the way, Paul did that too. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was nearly killed on more than one occasion for the sake of the gospel. And they knew that. Paul said, if I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. I could tell you how good I am and what all I've done. I could, I could tell you my accolades and, and all the things that would make you think well of me. But you know what? If I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And that one may be hard for you to imagine, but the truth is that people do this every single day. All the time. People will literally give up everything so they'll have something to boast about. And in order to get there, you know what they'll do? They'll compromise their family. They'll sacrifice their morals. They'll sacrifice their kids. They'll sacrifice all kinds of things to gain what they want to gain. And you'll look at them, you'll think, oh man, they've gained a lot. They've accumulated a lot. They have a lot of, of worth, a lot of value, a lot of money, a lot of whatever. And they've made it to the top of their field. And, and man, they have climbed the ladder and we want to be just like them. But you know what they find when they get, they get to the top of the ladder? When, when you think they have everything, the truth is, and they know this and they realize this, they have nothing. Because they sacrificed everything to get there. And the only question left that they're asking, the only question left that's burning a hole in their brain is this. Is it too late to give up everything so I can win back those relationships I lost? That's all they want. You can give up everything and realize you've gained 
nothing. And this is where Paul says, you're getting it mixed up. If you're trying to make a name for yourself, if you're trying to, to go out there and do it for your own glory and for your own name and for your own fame and for your own renown, what you're going to find is that every time you're going to wind up with absolutely nothing. But, but, if what you're striving for, if what you're living for is for another name, to make another name great, for another's fame, for another's glory, for another's renown, then what you're going to find is that when you make much of Jesus, and when you're striving to let his name and his fame and his renown be the story of your life, you will gain everything. I think, I think this is Paul's entire point. Without love, all of that is pointless. But you know what? With Love, with love, it changes everything. Without love, you take, you take the absence of love and you marry it to the power and the ability and the spiritual gifts and the talents that you have, and you, it equals nothing. Without love, it, it's nothing. But, but with love, you take the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and you marry that to the power, the talents, the spiritual gifts, the abilities that God has given you, and it's going to equal world changers. This is what was true of Paul, setting himself up as the, the case study, as the example of, of what he's talking about. Guess what? When you take the love of Jesus and you allow it to change your life, and you put that with the spiritual gifts and the talents and the abilities and the power that God has given you, you will change the world. And that is exactly what Paul did. Jesus did this. Jesus was love. He is love, and he had all power. He has all power. And anyone in the world will tell you that Jesus changed the world. Great love plus great power always equals world changers. And I believe that this is what Paul is trying to say to the church in Corinth. You're getting it all mixed up. You're doing this without love. But what I want you to see is when you take love and then you allow the love of Jesus to do what love always does. And what does the love of Jesus always do? The love of Jesus, as defined by Jesus, is self-sacrificing love. Oh, that's a different way of love. It's not a love that asks what's in it for me. In fact, it's a love that never asks what's in it for me. It's the love that always asks, what's in it for the other person? How can I help? And when you take that kind of self-sacrificial love and you use the spiritual gifts and talents and abilities and power that God has given you, what you're going to find is that you are going to change the world. One of my favorite stories, as I was Getting ready this week. This was the one that God laid on my heart. And what's interesting is that it's, it's not a big deal. You won't find it anywhere on the internet. <laughs> it's not in any paper. There's no, new, no new news articles about it. Story about a kid a long time ago. Elementary age boy came down with the chicken pox. And if you know anything about that virus, you can't go to school. you got to stay home until it runs its course. But the problem was in this family, the mom worked and the dad worked. And so they had a situation where they couldn't stay home with the child and, and the boy was too young to stay home by himself. So what do you do? What do you, what, what do, you do? Well, a lady at their church found out about it and she called and said, hey, 
I'm home this week. If you need me to, I will keep your son while you work and while he works. Even though he's highly contagious, he can come over. I don't mind. It's okay. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't realize how big of a deal that story was until a few years ago when me and my family moved here to Texas to be with you. And just to be really honest and transparent with you, we, we were willing to do that. We, we love it. But one of the hard things is, you know, I work and my wife works, and when our kids get sick, it's like, oh, no, what do, what do we do? Because no one wants to keep your sick kids, and that's okay. And so we always have to navigate, okay, I'll take off this day, and you take off that day, and we'll, we'll make it work until so-and-so gets better. And, and that was all great until a few weeks ago, one of our daughters got sick, and it was a situation where I had work commitments, and my wife had work commitments, and we, we honestly didn't know how we were going to do this. And that's when a friend from this church texted my wife and said, hey, I'll keep your daughter, I know she's sick, while you work and while he works. And I don't mind telling you, her eyes filled with tears because it was the first time she'd gotten a text like that. And it made me think of this story of a time when I was sick and I was a kid in elementary school and I had the chicken pox. And Miss Nancy called my mom and said, hey, let Corey come over. And I sat in her kitchen and we played sorry and I think she let me win. You see, it's when you take great love and whatever power or ability God has given you and you allow it to make a difference in the life of another person. Love plus power makes an eternal impact. So what I want us to do this month is I want us to lean hard into this idea that we want to be a people that love different. And one way I want to do that, and I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage myself, is to use a breath prayer. And, and, and this is a breath prayer that a friend of mine by the name of Dusty Rush shared with me a few years ago. And I asked for his permission to use it, and he was more than happy to allow us to do that. And this breath prayer, if you don't know what a breath prayer is, a breath prayer is simply a, a one-sentence prayer you can say in one breath. And the spiritual practice of breath prayer is to take that prayer, whatever it is, and, and to say it over and over again. And so if, if you're at school this week, every time the bell rings, you can think, oh yeah, and pray the breath prayer over and over again as you're walking to your next class. Or if you're driving to work this week, instead of the radio or the music, turn that off and just pray this breath prayer over and over again. Every inhale, every exhale, breathe these words, breathe this prayer, and let this prayer center your heart and settle your, settle your mind on Jesus and, and allow, allow God to, to open your eyes to maybe things that you wouldn't see before because of the impact of this breath prayer in your life. And this breath prayer simply says, Lord, help me love who you love the way you love. Lord, help me love who you love the way you love. Can we say that together, church? Lord, help me love who you love the way you love. One more time. Lord, help me love who you love the way you love. What I think God will do for you because he's done this for me is you'll begin to see people differently. Sometimes I'll warn you, it'll be after the fact. And you'll walk along and you'll be like, Ugh, I missed that one. God, give me a second chance to love that person the way you would love that person. Because I blew it, and that's okay. But to pray this breath prayer is to be invited into the way of love that Jesus calls us to.
to allow the love of Jesus to shape and to change your life in such a way that we see people differently. And because we see them differently, we see them the way God sees them. We want to love them the way God loves them. And that changes what we do in that moment for that person. You see, I think what Paul was trying to do for the Corinthian church was to change the origin of everything that they did and let the origin of everything be the love of Jesus. Let that be the, the beginning and, and the orientation of everything we do. Let it, let it come from and flow from Jesus through us into the lives of others. Lord, help me love who you love, the way you love. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. I'm going to invite our shepherds to make their way around the room to different places where they can pray with you. But as they go, they're going to hand out these cards. And on these cards is simply uh, this breath prayer. And just to help you with this spiritual practice this week, what I would like to ask you to do is just take this card and, and put this prayer somewhere where you'll see it every day. Put it in your car, tape it to your dash, put it on your mirror, uh, wherever is convenient and quick for you, take this card and just put it somewhere where you'll see it every day to remind you to pray this prayer. And I want us to pray this not just this week, but, but all month. I'll remind you every week as we gather that this is what the, the prayer that we want to be praying individually and collectively, that, that God would do this for, for us uh, in our own lives, but also for us as a church, that God would open our eyes to, to love who he loves the way that he loves. Paul said, If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Jesus did give everything. He did sacrifice his body. And because we saw on the cross the ultimate expression of self-sacrificial love, you and I are here today. You know what Jesus said about us, about you? He said, your love for one another will prove It will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love will prove. I don't know who won the Super Bowl 30 years ago. I've got no idea. I couldn't even guess. But you know what I'll never forget? I'll never forget Miss Nancy. Great love. With power. Makes an internal difference in the lives of others. May we step into this different way of love this week. If you need to pray with somebody, we want to be a church of prayer. And one of the things that means is that when we gather, we're going to make this available a time for you to go pray with our shepherds and their wives. Please go do that. If you want to step into this way of love, if you feel like if your life has been out of alignment with the life of Jesus and you want to get it back into alignment, they would love nothing more than to pray and ask God to help you. If you want to experience life change and step into the way of love for the first time, we would love to see you step into these waters and to walk through those waters and be forever changed because of the love of Jesus. But may we as a church, may we lean in together into this way of love, to love different. Lord, may we love who you love, the way you love. Let's sing.